1 Samuel. We'll be there in just a moment. 1 Samuel. Larry Olson in the book Outdoor Survival Skills describes a man who's lost in the desert. He's been out of food and water for days. His lips are swollen. His tongue is swollen. He's all beat up and bloody. Some of his bones are peeking through. He's been scraped and beat by the cactus and the sand and the sun. He's blistered. And he's crawling over this little hill he comes across. And he comes up to this little plant. And he props himself up on one bloody elbow. He looks down at that little plant that he's come across and says, You know, if things keep going like this, I might get discouraged. Now, I'm just going to level with you, beloved. I would have been discouraged a long time before then. Do you ever struggle with discouragement? I'll be honest with you, I do. It's something that I've battled throughout the years, the whole idea of discouragement. I got a kick out of a story I ran across this past week from an anonymous pastor. He wrote, in the first five years of my ministry, I had a sign on my desk that read, Win the world for Christ! Win the world for Christ. He said in his second five years of ministry, he put up a new sign that said, win one or two for Christ. And then he said, since that time, he has a sign on his desk that reads, try not to lose too many. Uh, sometimes discouragement comes to us from out of the blue, like the little girl that I read about who she was trying for months to learn the art of tying her shoes and she finally grasped the skill and she was able to do it by herself and her parents were expecting her to be really excited and delighted. Uh, but instead she was disappointed. And her father asked her why she was crying. I mean, she was crying and she sobbed. I just learned to tie my shoes. And he said, that's wonderful, honey. Why are you crying though? She replied, because now I have to do it all by myself for the rest of my life. <laughs> Sometimes discouragement comes out of the blue after something good and something wonderful and yet there is that high and then there is that low. We're all susceptible to discouragement. Some of us suffer from it more than others. Some people seem to be positively wired. They don't struggle with it much and then others are more melancholy and discouragement are things that they really have to deal with. But why is it that we struggle with discouragement in the first place? Why is this an issue in our life? Well, I think one big reason that we do is because of disappointment. Disappointment comes in our life. We think and we plan one way and we act the exact opposite. We get disappointed. We get disappointed, first of all, with ourselves. We try and we fail. We don't meet our own expectations. Our dreams die. We do dumb things. We set goals and we fail in meeting those goals. And so we get disappointed with ourselves. Uh, likewise, we get disappointed with other people. Uh, they let us down. They fail to keep their promises. They hurt us. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, uh, they let us down and we're disappointed with other people. And then there's the whole idea of just being disappointed with life itself. Things didn't turn out the way that we thought they were going to. Uh, we had one idea in our mind and we're not there. We thought we'd be further along at this point in our life than we really are. And we had those grand ideas of what our life was going to be like and how things were going to play out. And yet we are dealing with something we didn't expect. 
We didn't think that we would get sick. We didn't think that we would deal with so much suffering and loss in our lives. And so we find ourselves in a place of disappointment. And then in our really honest moments, and though we may not verbalize it and certainly not in church, sometimes we may even get disappointed with God Himself. So what do you mean? Well, we thought He was going to answer our prayer that we prayed the way we wanted Him to answer it. He didn't act the way we thought that He was going to act on our behalf. He didn't change that heart. He didn't do those things that we were expecting. And so we have disappointment coming at us from so many different areas. And all of this discouragement, it can take a toll on us and it impacts us greatly. And it can take the pep out of our step. It can take the sparkle out of our eye. It can rob us of enthusiasm. It can rob us of our zest. And if we're not careful, we can end up like the fellow I read about that many, many years ago was walking down the street. It was Dr. Park Tucker. He was a former chaplain for a federal penitentiary in Atlanta, Georgia. And he was walking down the street in a certain city. And he was feeling low and discouraged and worried about life in general. And as he walked along, he lifted up his eyes for a moment and he saw the window of a funeral home across the street. And he blinked a couple of times just to kind of make sure he was seeing clearly. And he looked out and made sure his eyes were not deceiving him. But sure enough, in the window of that funeral home many, many years ago was a sign. And in large, bold letters, the sign said, Why walk around half dead? We can bury you for (laughs) $69.50. P.S. We give green stamps. A win-win. And beloved, that's no way to live. To walk around half dead and discouraged and defeated and struggling along. We've got to beat discouragement. And we need help from God Himself. And we find help right here in His Word. And you're in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And we find that David, you remember David was a man after God's own heart. And in this passage we find that David was distressed. And David was discouraged. And I want to give it to you in two different uh, translations. First of all, the way that I learned it growing up. I was raised in the King James. I, I memorized most of the Scripture that I know in the King James. I love the King James. Primarily preach here from the New King James just because it modernizes some things. You know, we have an English translation of Greek and Hebrew and a small amount of Aramaic. But I want to show you how I learned it and probably many of you growing up. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But notice the last part. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Here it is in the New King James. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now I want to take that one verse and I want us to think about it for a little bit. And we'll fill in some of the details surrounding it as well. But I want you to mark this lesson down. Big and bold. Make sure you don't miss it because it's true. Distressing times will come. Distressing times will come. All of us live in a sin-cursed, fallen world. All of us face difficulty. 
All of us face disappointment. All of us face challenges. And if you have not yet, you will. Now, aren't you glad you came to church today? Aren't you encouraged by that thought? But here's the reality. All of us deal with this. We may not make it out of this service before we deal with it. We may not make it out of the parking lot. You may go out your tire might be flat. Or your car won't start. Or your battery's dead. Or whatever. Distressing times will come. Now, before I get real specific with this chapter 30, verse 6, I think we did get a snapshot of the backstory. In other words, what was David dealing with up until this point? And for the sake of time, I'm going to let old J. Sidlow Baxter summarize for us. Now, here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. It says that David was distressed. He was discouraged. But you've got to know that when we're reading here in 1 Samuel 30, 12 or more years earlier in David's life, Samuel had anointed David to be king over Israel. And then after that, for a time, circumstances seemed to be providentially paving the way. David had become Saul's uh, armor bearer and his harpist. Then he went out and slew that giant Goliath. You remember that they sang the song that Saul had slain his thousands, but David had slain his ten thousands. But then from that time on, there seemed to be a series of reverses. Twice, Saul tried to kill David with a javelin. Then he tried to kill David in other ways. And soon David had to flee for his life. And Saul hunted him like a partridge on the mountains. And poor David had a pretty hazardous time. I mean, his life was really rough and there was a struggle there. He had been anointed the future king and yet he's fleeing for his life. And then eventually in the eclipse of his faith, David and the warrior band, the men that had gathered around him, they evacuated to the land of the Philistines. And King Achish had given them the city of Ziklag. And David and his followers lived there for 16 months. And then came a crowning tragedy. You see, the Philistines were going to go to war against Israel again. Now think about that. David is there with the Philistines, the enemies of Israel. And yet the Philistines now are going to go to war against Israel. And David felt obliged, at least outwardly, to go with them. But you know what? The Philistines instead did not want David to go with them. Instead, they said, you return to Ziklag. And David was saved from a very awkward situation. But that brings us to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And so you see these highs in his life and you see all these reverses and all these lows. And he's been rejected by the Philistines. Go home. And now you're still in 1 Samuel 30. Because I want to show you what comes next. Look at verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. Look at verse 3. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Do you understand what's going on? Now look at what happens. Verse 4. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept till they had no more power to weep, overcome with grief. And David's two wives, Anoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. And then verse 6 says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved. 
every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Do you have the picture now? He's anointed king. Then he's set on the run for his life. He ends up with the Philistines who then reject him, send him home. When he comes in the sight of home, the city is burned down. The people are taking, including his own family. They're grieved and distressed. And then you have them wanting to stone David. Now, don't miss the fact that his family is gone. His family is gone. His two wives, and by the way, that's not God's plan. We won't get off on that rabbit trail. But it's one man, one woman. And you read in the Scripture where they multiplied wives, they multiplied trouble. God's plan is for one and one. But the point of the, the passage here is that we understand that David, in this part, in that one verse, says that his own wives were carried away captive. So David, has, his own family is gone. And then to make matters worse, his friends turn on him. And so you have tremendous grief. And then you have betrayal, ultimate betrayal. Not just, we don't want to hang out with you anymore. We want to kill you. Now, I don't know if you've ever been betrayed by a friend or have those that you thought were a friend betray you. But, you know, if you ever have, there's tremendous pain involved with that. So you have a double-edged sword being plunged into David's heart here. You have the fact that his own family's been taken captive and then his own friends betray him and they want to kill him. And it says here that David was greatly distressed. It's the picture of being, they tell me in the original language, being pressed into a tight corner like a potter pressing clay into a mold. And he's squeezed and he's pressed to this horrible place. You can imagine the pressure and the stress and the grief and the anguish that he's enduring here. Now let me ask you, where is Ziklag in your life? Where is Ziklag in your life? What, what dreams, what, what goals, what, what desires have been burned to the ground in your life? What, what relationships have gone up in smoke? Where are you being squeezed and pressed at the moment? I, I say this, beloved, because it brings us to our second point, and it's simply this. We need to deal with our discouragement. We need to deal with it. Distressing times come. And we need to deal with our discouragement. We need to be real honest with ourselves and not try to fool ourselves and go ahead and admit that we are distressed. We often say stressed. We're stressed. We're discouraged. Did you notice here that David doesn't deny his feelings? He doesn't post on plastic smiles and go about his merry way and singing, don't worry, be happy. But I find it very interesting, beloved, when I read the passage that it says that he encouraged or strengthened himself. Did you notice that? Look at verse 6. It says that he strengthened himself. We've got to take responsibility for ourselves, beloved, and be honest with ourselves. You see, David could not appeal to the people that were with him. Why? They wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him, it says there. They wanted to stone him with stones. So he couldn't go out and say, hey, would y'all mind coming and laying hands on me and pray? They'd be glad to lay hands on him, but not for prayer. And so sometimes we've got to talk to ourselves and preach to ourselves and counsel ourselves. You know, as a pastor, people come and I have to give them pastoral counsel 
about their problems or their issues that they're being challenged with. And I'll just be honest with you that there are times I have to give myself pastoral counsel. Sometimes I have to think, what would I tell somebody else that's going through what I'm going through? What would I tell them? What counsel would I give them from the Scripture? And can I just tell you, you need to do the same thing? You say, well, I'm not a pastor. It doesn't matter. You need to preach the truth to yourself. You need to preach the Word to yourself. Get in God's Word and tell yourself the truth. And talk to yourself about the truth of God and His Word and what God says about the situation. And David does that here. He helps himself. He strengthens himself. He encourages himself. But don't miss this. Don't leave yet. Because this is not self-help and a bunch of uh, you know, stuff like that. This, beloved, I want you to notice what the passage says. It says that David encouraged himself not with himself. It says that what? David encouraged himself in the Lord. The arm of flesh will fail us. If you're discouraged with yourself, it's not going to do much help to go try to look at yourself. You're going to get more discouraged. But instead, we have to encourage ourselves by taking responsibility and encouraging ourselves in the Lord. You see, the Lord is the source of encouragement. David strengthened himself in the Lord is God, which this is a wonderful lesson to make sure you don't miss. There is one who can encourage us. There is one who can encourage us. You say, well, I don't know if there's any hope for me. There's hope for you, dear friend. There is one who can encourage you. There is one who can strengthen you. There is one who can help you. And I find it so lovely here that David sought the Lord. And I want you to notice what happens. She's still in 1 Samuel 30. Verse 6 says he encouraged himself in the Lord. Look at verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. Now notice what it says in verse 8. So David inquired of the Lord. He prays, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David went, he and his 600 men who were with him and came to the brook Besor where he stayed, who, those who stayed who were left behind. Drop down to verse 18. Verse 18. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Now, beloved, I've got to point out something very important. It was not the happy ending that encouraged David here. That was a happy ending. No doubt he was very, very happy about the fact that he recovered his wives, their, their, uh, their families, and so forth. But don't miss this. It was back in verse 6 where it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. That's before he hunted down the Amalekites, before they recovered their families and their stuff. In other words, before the actual victory, before he ever went on this battle, he encouraged himself. How is this? I mean, he didn't actually get the victory till later. How was he encouraged before he even went into the battle? Well, because he encouraged himself in the Lord himself and not just what the Lord was going to do on his behalf. And beloved, we've got to do the same thing. Now, I've got to also caution you about something else. We don't always get the happy ending. Not here. We will there. 
One day God will set all things right. One day everything will be perfect in heaven. But we don't always get that happy ending here. It doesn't always end up the way we want here. So what do we do then? When those circumstances and those problems we're dealing with, they don't don't change. Well, We need to know how to encourage ourselves regardless of what does or does not happen. And that encouragement, beloved, is found in the Lord. In the Lord. And so I want you to understand here that uh, He is the encouragement. He is the one who can encourage us. He's the object of it. He's the source of it. You say, well, preacher, what does that look like? How do I encourage myself in the Lord? Well, it's the whole idea, beloved, of looking above your problems, looking above the issues you're dealing with, and looking at the Lord. We see David doing this in the Psalms. Um, Don't don't, uh, open it, but uh, let's go to Psalm um, 3. Just mark this down and I'm going to read it to you. Psalm 3. What did I just say? I said this, that we need to look above our problems to the Lord. Listen to what David writes in Psalm 3. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for God. There's no help for him in God, Selah. Now, if Psalm 3 ended right there, you might as well just go and jump off the cliff. He's got problems, a lot of problems, increasing problems. But when you get to Psalm 3, verse 3, there's a but. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord my voice and he heard me from his holy hill. You see, in the midst of his problems, many are those who increase. Many are those that are against me. Many are those that are, are out to get me, Lord. I have all these troubles and all these problems. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. The glory and the lifter of my head. And he turns his eyes away from what's going on around him and he lifts his eyes to the Lord. And beloved, can I just tell you, We need to do the very same thing. I don't know what it is you're dealing with today. I don't know what great burden you're carrying. But can I just remind you that the Lord is faithful and He's powerful and He's loving and He's good and He's glorious and He's real and He's there with you. You see, beloved, letting discouragement overcome us is like letting this little quarter interfere with us in life. You see, I've got a quarter here. And, and think about the quarter and think about the sun, the blazing sun. doesn't look like it's too bright today, but, but on those days where it's really, really bright. And the difference between the size of this quarter and the size of the sun is the difference between a few millimeters and millions of miles. Yet I can go out on a sunny day and I can close this eye and I can keep that eye and I can take and bring that to my eye. And with that little bitty quarter, I can block out the sun in my life. It's a picture of what we do when we allow the problems of life to block out the glory of God and the goodness of God and the presence of God. How foolish it would be. You rode by the, and I'm out front in my yard and I'm sitting there doing this. You think, well, he's gone crazy. How foolish to sit around letting this little quarter block out the ability to be basking in the glory of the radiant sun. Well, how much more foolish it would be to allow a tiny problem. You say, what's well, a big problem? Yes, but in the light of God's glory, what is it to His power? 
He's all powerful. And so I've got to look above my problems, my challenges, my issues, and look to the Lord. That's what David does here. He says, I'm distressed and my, my friends, they want to kill me and my family's gone, but I'm going to look up to the Lord. And I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord because He never changes and He's good and He's glorious in all of His wonder. You know, I've got to mention one more thing. I think one of the reasons we so often deal with discouragement and problems and issues and things and we get down, listen, it's because we forget something very important. We forget, beloved, that life is not ultimately about us in the first place. Let me say that again. We forget that life is not ultimately about us in the first place. We think it's all about us. In my reading this past week, someone quoted the words, very famous words, important words from Rick Warren. And I was reminded again, I put them in the message today. The purpose of your life. Listen, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment. Your peace of mind or even your happiness. It is far greater than your family your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you are placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose. You say, well, preacher, what is that purpose? That you know and glorify the Lord. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. That's why we exist. To know and glorify God. The Bible says, whether therefore you eat or drink or what's if you do all to the glory of God. And so yes, your career is important. Yes, your family is important. We all those things. But listen, ultimately, it's not about us. It's about the Lord and His glory and His kingdom. It's not about us. It's about Him. And we get our, our minds off ourselves like, oh, this is going wrong and that's going wrong. On to the Lord and His glory and His plan and His purpose for our life. And, and know this, He even has a purpose in allowing you to go through all that garbage and all that stuff. Romans 8.28 is true. He works all things together for good. He takes the good, the bad, and the ugly and He's weaving it together. He's maturing you and helping you and perfecting you and making you like Jesus. We wouldn't choose it. We don't want it. We wouldn't select it. But God in His loving wisdom, just like He would your child, you make them take that awful tasting medicine. Why? Because you love them. And you want them well. And God allows things in our life that we wouldn't choose and don't want. But He knows it's for our good and His glory. There's so much more I could say, but let me give you just one example. Something you might want to do to help you. And then we'll close. This comes from one of my favorite authors, Pastor Robert J. Morgan. And Robert Morgan, he himself struggles at times. He said, several years ago, facing a difficult time, I drew a line down the center of the pages of my notebook. So think about a notebook. You just draw a line down the middle. He said, on the left side of the line, I listed all the negative emotions I was feeling. Discouragement, disappointment, depression, anger, fatigue. He just listed everything he was dealing with. I described each attitude the best I could and my column extended several pages, he said. 
So think about that. He's got this sheet. He's just writing down everything that's going on wrong. He said, then I went back and I started at the top on the right-hand side. And he said, I found Bible verses that corresponded with my emotions. For example, depression was on the left-hand side. And so he wrote this on the right-hand side, Philippians 4.4, Rejoice the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And he, he worked through it, beloved, and he filled both columns, the left-hand side, all the negative emotions, depression, disappointment. The right-hand column, verses from God's Word speaking to that. He said, when I filled both columns, he said, I, I took my list, I knelt, and I showed the Lord my pages. Explaining to him that I was on the left-hand side of the page, but I needed to get to the right. He said in the days that followed, he memorized some of those verses on the right-hand side. And it helped him a tremendous way to strengthen, to encourage himself and the Lord. Now, that's just one suggestion. Maybe today you need to take a sheet of paper and get alone and draw a line down the middle and write down everything you're dealing with, everything you're facing, all the discouragement, all the heartache, all the, 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 the blown dreams and, and the, the ashes that are in your life. Just write them out. And then get in your Bible, go to the back, get in the concordance, and find verses that speak to those things. And then take that list before the Lord and lay it out. And ask Him to encourage your heart through His Word. It's just one way. Prayer is a powerful way of dealing with these things. Scripture, reading the Word of God, hiding God's Word in your heart. Hey, hey, here's something that's helped me tremendously over the years. A hymn or a song. The words of some of those hymns or songs are just a tremendous blessing. There's one hymn in particular I think about that God has used in my life over and over and over again when I'm down and depressed and dealing with those things. And I go to that hymn and I can sing the words and it just ministers to my heart. A counselor from a godly friend. Sometimes you need to reach out to somebody else. Sometimes you need to call a preacher or a Christian counselor or a Christian friend or you need to talk to your Sunday school class or a friend or somebody and say, listen, I'm struggling. I need help. But God wants to strengthen you. God wants to encourage you to have victory over this and not walk around half dead, defeated, discouraged, and in the dumps. And so I would encourage you to begin today in this service by simply bowing your head with me and telling the Lord what it is that's on your heart and what it is you're dealing with. Let's do that together, can we? I don't know what it is in your life, but let's bow together. Take a moment there. Be honest with the Lord and tell Him. Tell Him what it is that's got you down today. What are you struggling with? What's worrying you? What's, what's on your mind and your heart? You just can't let go of it, it seems like. It's hurting you. It's hurting your relationships. It's hurting your joy. It's a burden. Just talk to the Lord about it right now. Tell Him what it is.
Lord, thank you that what we're telling you right now, you already know. It's no surprise to you. You know exactly what we're dealing with. But Lord, we need to talk to you about it today. We need you to work in our heart about it. We need your help in it. We need to have victory in these areas. So Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit right now will be doing a work in the midst of these precious people. Do a work in my heart, O God. Let us just be honest before you this morning and give you these hurts and these hang-ups and these problems and these worries and this stress that we feel. Thank you, Lord, that you say in your word that we can cast all of our care upon you for you care for us. And even the very smallest thing if it's a concern and a care for us, it's a concern and care for you. Lord, do a work, I pray, not only now, but in the coming days, there would be true victory in these areas and true joy in the Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 516, the altar is open. If you would like to come and pray, we would invite you, but I... Hope that you'd pray to the Lord if they're in your seat again. If we can help you in some way, you need someone to talk to, someone to help you, we'd love to do what we can to do that for you. 516, like a river glorious, is God's perfect peace over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect yet it floweth fuller every day. Perfect yet it groweth deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed. Binding as He promised. Perfect peace. And rest. Let's stand and sing 516. You come if God leads you.